You're listening to a podcast of Spurious Morality. And welcome to a podcast of Spurious Morality. Uh, we're here this week to discuss Nest Cottage, or at least the first series of Nest Cottage, which is Hornet's Nest. Uh, we've wanted to do this one for quite a while. Uh, we're going to follow it up over the next couple of months by doing Demon Quest and Serpent's Crest as well. But this is obviously where we're starting. I'm Johnston, and with me I have Mansour. Hello. And I have Connor. Hello, good evening. And, uh, oh, we better hope people are listening to this in the evening. Good morning, good afternoon, good midnight, good can't sleep at three o'clock. I, think I mean, I think that's probably where most of our listens come from. <laughs> I think that covers all eventualities. <laughs> our, nice, our nice soothing voices to help lull them back to sleep. Um <laughs> Yes, it's it's good to be here, and it's good to be talking about Nest Cottage. Um, and uh, I, I am have, I have to admit, I'm one of the proud owners of the lovely vinyl box sets. Um, I've got all three, and they are absolutely brilliant. Like the the amount of work and detail that's gone into making them such a special release is just it, it's something else. This is sort of proper top end BBC audio drama on vinyl. Um, so, uh, we'll sort of start off by discussing the fact that we were all pretty convinced that Tom Baker was never, ever, ever going to do Doctor Who again. Like he really hadn't done it for a long time and didn't look like he was going to start doing it again anytime soon. I think the only time that he'd sort of seriously done anything at all, I use the word seriously with kind of inverted commas here. Um, the only time he seriously did anything at all was Dimensions in Time, and he sort of turned up in not the correct costume and did. Oh, there was the Doctor Who night as well. He did that in the late nineties. But apart from that, this is going to turn into the Spanish Inquisition where I keep going. And apart from this, <laughs> apart from that, um, all I can think of off the top of my head though are those two things. Um, but somebody's sorry. Did you mention the Shada? Three, three, the three things that Tom Baker. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going to stop doing this. Tom Baker hadn't done much Doctor Who um, since leaving the role in the early 80s and um, doing Hornet's Nest. So when this was first announced, this was rather quite big news. Tom Baker was doing Doctor Who audio. And uh, we know for a fact that Big Finish tried to get him at the start and for whatever reason didn't succeed. He seemed to be quite against it. 
So yeah, this was quite big. This was a whole series of full cast audio drama starring Tom Baker. So I'm just going to kind of ask you to cast your mind back to those those good old days of well, bad old days of no audio, Tom, and sort of tell me what you thought of the announcement. So you go first, Mansoor. Um, well, yeah, like as, as you said, it was unexpected, so um, very exciting. It was, um, I'm trying to think back because it's quite a while back now. And this is obviously well before Big Finish and Tom's done so much since then that it just seems like just normal that he's always doing audio Doctor Who. But then, yeah, back then it was a really big, big thing. Uh, I think I remember there was um, the thing that made it even bigger. I'm sure he said something about getting scripts from Big Finish and then slipping off his knee into the <laughs> into the uh, into the bin or something along those lines. But um, so yeah, that, no one. That does it. sound very very top. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it, for some reason he obviously didn't fancy it, and then we reached this stage and did. Uh, what about you, Connor? Do you remember that fantastic announcement way back when? I actually don't because I didn't get into Doctor Who on audio till around about sort of 2015 or thereabouts. So Hornet's Nest, um, in fact, the whole, I, th- I think the whole um, Nest Cottage series was done and dusted by then. And we had several years of big finish fourth Doctor under, uh, you know, available at that point. Um, so I actually don't remember this being announced. I do remember vaguely hearing about it and finding it quite interesting. Um, but it was it was it was big finish that I went for first, and then only heard this relatively recently within the last couple of years. Um, I have still so far only done the first series. I have yet to do the, whenever I hear the second and third for this will be the first that I that I hear them. Um, but I do have an interesting bit. You've mentioned the scripts that Tom Baker was sent by Big Finish to try and entice to try and entice him in. One of those was the Spectre of Lanyon Moor, which is notable for featuring Susan Jameson as quite a significant guest character, and she's in this playing Mrs. Wibsey. So there was there's a little bit of a crossover there, and that'll be my little interesting tidbit to add to this part of the conversation. We we need a. Uh... A, a section of each episode of this podcast that's just like Connor's facts. <laughs> like every every week, Connor brings us a fun fact. So that's Connor's fact for this week. Tune in fun, next week for now. We're not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's. It, I, I do also remember reading about Spectre of Lanyon Moor, and it, it it would have been great to get sort of Tom alongside Nicholas Courtney again as well. I think. But at the same time, Lanyon Moore kind of gives us a Sixth Doctor Brigadier story. So I guess we lose something and we gain something from that. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's uh, it, it was a sort of a really good announcement. I do remember it and I do remember it being quite exciting. And everybody sort of immediately went, oh, does this mean it'll go to big finish as well? Uh, which obviously did take a few years, but... Um, we we sort of got there. But yeah, this is kind of where it all started. This is Tom Baker as an audio doctor. And here we are in 2023. And it all seems very weird. The idea that there isn't much or isn't any Tom Baker audio because there's loads of it now. He's kind of made up for lost time. Um, so 
we'll kind of we'll move on. We'll start talking about Hornet's Nest, and we will try and avoid talking about Demon Crest and Serpents. No, Demon Quest and Serpents Crest. That's right, um, because we don't want to spoil it for you, obviously, Connor. Um, you've got some great stuff to listen to though uh, before we do our next couple of episodes. I, so, all yeah, oh, right, I definitely yeah, I won't talk about them then. Oh, I could make anything up at this point. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> so, oh yeah, like Joe Grant turns up with a machete, and uh, no, no. Um, so, um, I'll start off sort of by asking you what your favourite episode from this Hornet's Nest run is. Then, what's your favourite one? So, Mansour, you go first. It's it's really tough with this one because so so each episode is a really distinct and coherent story. Um, that's like one of the great things about this this set, I think. But um, at the same time, they are all what part of one narrative. So I think the the circus one is the one that's coming to mind. Yeah, the Circus of Doom. That's probably the one that's standing out to me. But I, fa- I found it really hard to say which one was like far and away my favourite because they all do feel like um, really well strung together chapters of a single story. And it's it's sort of different from... I feel like Big Finish is often at one end or the other, like really sort of loosely connected anthology box sets or something like that recent um, River One, Friend of the Family, where it's just one three or four hour story chunked up um and then hornet's nest is sort of in the middle it's it's one long narrative but each one has this really distinct structure and sense and tone and setting um yeah so circus of doom is the one i'd go for i think that is a big thing that i do enjoy when i come to listen to this and i've heard it a few times now and I, I really like that each episode is something very different and very distinct, but there's this constant feeling of momentum of it sort of heading in a direction. And obviously we do have the the finale at the end that kind of uh, wraps it all up. Uh, Connor, what about you? What's your favourite release from Hornet's Nest? I think it's the fourth one, um, which is, I, th- I think it was uh, a sting in the tail. Which is, it's it's my favourite for a couple of reasons. I really, really like that sort of imagery of the Doctor sort of travelling through this winter, you know, this really, really wintry landscape. Um, like there's talks of the snow being piled high, the wolves on his heels, that sort of thing. I think that's all really, really, I just, that, Im- that sort of imagery appeals to me. I really like that. Um, but it's a great story as well because it's, you know, it's one that I'm going to be talking about more when we come to it in the running order here, but um, it's it's the ones it's the hornets win in that one. Like the hornets do manage to sort of outwit the doctor, um, and and you get you know there's a couple of really nice twists, and I suppose you know it's the title. There's a sting in the tail, um, that he is um, beaten beaten's beaten's not the right word, but they do get the better of him in that he tries to cut them off and stop them at the start, and it turns out that it's his presence there that allows them to escape and cause the adventures or cause the um, incidents that the Doctor has previously encountered. So it's like he almost sort of tries to change history and history makes him a part of it then. So that's I really, really enjoy that aspect of it. 
Yeah, it's it's another excellent story and very, very different from, as we've said, everything else in the set. Uh, I think I'd have to go for The Dead Shoes. I think it's a great uh, sort of retrospective, I guess, introduction to Mrs. Wibsey. We do meet her in the first episode, but we kind of get her origin story here and it's kind of wild and it kind of gives us a little bit more about the hornets as we go through so yeah it's 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 a nice fun story but it is very difficult to pick a favorite because it is all one story that's sort of leading to one place and the the standard is just exceptionally high it's really really enjoyable stuff um so we'll look at it sort of on an episode by episode basis i'll get takes from each of you about each one uh, and then we'll kind of round it off at the end um, by saying probably more nice things about it. Um, so the first episode is The Stuff of Nightmares. Uh, it sort of starts with kind of Mike Yates as our, um, I guess, principal character. He's kind of invited to Nest Cottage and he figures out that it's the Doctor before he gets there, really. And then uh, it kind of switches and the Doctor starts giving him the backstory I really like the format of this. Like a lot of the series is the Doctor telling Mike about his adventures and it kind of then reaches the point where we've caught up with this story from the Doctor and it moves into a what's happening now kind of scenario. Um, So what are your thoughts, Mansoor, on the stuff of nightmares? Uh, Yeah, a really strong start. It establishes that format that you're talking about as well. Um, And this was pre-Tom Big Finish, but we had had a lot of other Doctors doing Big Finish before this point. Um, And I think the thing that struck me with the format is how sort of different and fresh it felt. Like, Redacted is a completely different sort of thing, but one of the reasons I liked that, that it was just something different, and Hornet's Nest was that um, at the time as well. It It sounded like a different take on what Audio Doctor Who is. Um... You get first doctor, uh, a, a first person narration from the doctor, which is unusual for Doctor Who, but you know, Paul's done it once or twice quite successfully in, in different formats. But it works really well here, I think, probably the most successfully because you actually have Tom Baker um, you know, saying those words. And that thing about him telling you a story, he's, well, he's telling it to Mike, but it's almost like the audience are sort of hold around listening to him narrate it as well, even down to him kind of like really sort of building up those cliffhangers and saying, oh, you have to come back next time to, to hear an even more horrific um, series of events. So, so yeah, I really love the format. I think like maybe not so much the format, but like Tom's performance. I did hear some people who were a bit um, or felt like he wasn't quite, recapturing his doctor um even to the point where some people have retconned it as an older curator um rather than the fourth doctor uh i don't get that at all but maybe i'm just not as sensitive to those changes in voice and performance but he sounds like the fourth doctor to me both here and in big finish um so really strong opening i haven't said much about this specific story but it's a really sort of effective, creepy start to the sequence. Um, and the sound design really helps with that as well. Just like quite minimal music, but judicious use of sound effects to, to create that sort of 
sense of suspense or, or danger. Um, so yeah, really, really strong start to the set. Yeah, it, it's it's a great intro, and I do kind of like the I've already mentioned it, but the format again where we're kind of switching between narrators and. In some ways, it has a similar uh, format to, uh, and this is one of those moments where this podcast goes a little bit highbrow, but it actually has a fairly similar format to uh, Wuthering Heights, which has sort of narration within narration and all that kind of thing and perspectives changing. And I do quite like how it's utilised here. Um, Connor, what are your thoughts on the first story? Yeah, it's a great it's a great start to the range, um, but I, I I do think it feels more like a like a like a like it's setting that it's it's setting it has it has a lot to do you know for setting things up rather than sort of being a story in its own right. Now it does have the Doctor going off and meeting Percy Noggins, but it has a lot to get through, um, and I think that story is not as sort of front and center as 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 it would have been you know if it was one of the later episodes. So there's a it uh, brings Mike in. Um, and introduces him to the doctor. It sort of sets up the whole Ness Cottage situation. Um, the doctor taking a little bit of a holiday and 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 spending some time living on Earth in a cottage is a really great idea, and it's 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 great to hear, you know, that it's Tom Baker's doctor doing it. You know, um, because I always think of him as quite an energetic sort, so it is quite nice to get him, um a little bit slower and a little bit more relaxed and um, it works quite well i think there's something quite sherlock holmesy in the doctor and mike's interactions maybe it's just the image of the two of them sitting in an armchair with the doctor telling mike a story um but that's that's sort of what it feels like uh to me um that you know with the doctor as holmes and mike as watson um that sort of brings that uh that sort of relationship to mind so that works really really well um and yeah, it's 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 it 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 straight away you're sort of getting that slightly more fantastical bent on Doctor Who um, that I would sort of sort of associate with Paul Moore's work. Um, it's it's a little bit more sort of magical and and whimsical maybe is the word. Um, you have you know, you know like this, the image of all the stuffed animals coming to life is is great. Um, and it's 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 really terrifying as well. Just in the way they're described, you've got these sort of like dead carcasses coming through, possessed by the wasps, uh, reanimated and uh, possessed by the hornets rather, and reanimated into life. So that's really really good. Um, I I I think it's um, uh, as I say, it's 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 the setup episode, and then the subsequent episodes get to spend more time on their stories, um, and sort of are more focused on it on 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 their own individual stories than than this one perhaps is. But it's still really really good, and I like um because it's 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 only one of two that actually mostly takes place in and around sort of the present day in Ness Cottage. So I really really like that about it. Uh, you're absolutely right. It does have an awful lot of sort of heavy lifting to do. It is setting up a an entire series worth of arc, and I'm glad it does actually have that sort of standalone story within it as well. Um, it's it, it does work. It gets the balance right, and it sort of leaves us wanting more, particularly with the cliffhanger, which the Doctor kind of sets up himself, which is very, very in character, I think. When he sort of goes, well, let's have a cup of tea and then I'll tell you about the dead shoes. 
Um, it, it's an absolutely brilliant way to end. It does leave you wanting more. Um, but yeah, excellent starting story. Um, we shall move straight on to story number two, which is The Dead Shoes. Um, this, we get a uh, the Doctor going back to the past to kind of investigate what's going on here further. We've got the Hornets established as the villains, so now it's time to kind of go back in time and investigate them further. Uh, so, Mansell, what are your thoughts on The Dead Shoes? Uh, yeah, in its own right, uh, a, a, a sort of effective story that, um, yeah, I agree that like, you know, two, two three to five uh, do feel a bit more substantial in their own right. But all of that set up in, in, in the first episode, I think is really helpful because you get things like the ballet shoes and bits and pieces that come back and you sort of slowly discover that all the objects that uh, were described... Uh, or many of the objects that were described in that first episode come back as really important plot points in the subsequent ones. And not just objects, but Mrs. Whipsey herself as well is is part of events. Um, uh, but yeah, this story was uh, yeah pretty strong. I liked uh, I liked the supporting cast in this one as well. Um, and uh, yeah, not much more to say. Uh, sort of keeps up the momentum as all of the stories do it all sort of rattles along at a really nice pace and uh yeah some nice creepy moments and imagery with the uh defeat as well i think it gives um uh, because it obviously it's setting it's setting chromer and it's it's quite a quirky setting it kind of lets the fourth Doctor's really sort of bohemian, quirky nature come out. I think there are some great Doctor moments in this, like when he tries to pay Mrs. Wibsey with the it's like slime dollars or something like that, I think it is. Uh, just some very sort of out there fourth Doctor moments. And I think that just kind of the, the, the entire quirky setting kind of really leans into that very well. Uh, Connor, oh, sorry, go on. Oh, sorry, just to add quickly that, like, just um, Connor, what you said about the Holmes comparison, um, yeah, I'm totally seeing that now as well, especially with Mrs. Wibsey and the way she is with the Doctor. There's a very sort of like long suffering Mrs. Hudson type of relationship there at times. Yep, yeah, I um, I agree with you actually. Yes, it, it, it is very sort of Sherlockian in places and. Um, Mrs. Wibsey, I'd never looked at her as a Mrs. Hudson character before, but I think you're absolutely spot on there. Uh, Connor, what are your thoughts on it? Um, I, I I really enjoy it, and it's um, it's 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 good to get into a story that's entirely focused on on the story of the dead shoes. Um, so we get to go back to Cromer. Uh, it's in the 1930s, I think. Um, for some reason, I had it in my head the first time around that it was in the late 1800s. I'm not 100% sure why, um, but the 1930s sort of setting is great because it sort of lends to that image of an old British seaside holiday, which is, again, what the Doctor sort of goes on, because um, I, I think he, 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 he actually mentions that at one stage himself, that he, that he has considered that he has gone on holiday here um, after his, his first encounter with the Hornets. So that's great. That's really, really good. Um I, uh, I, it's it's sort of a tale of two halves. You have the 
you have the first half, which is the Doctor investigating Ernestina and the ballet shoes, and then the second half is them in Webzy's hands. Um, I like that she's set up as the villain as well. That's that's great. Um, and it's not something I expected because, you know, we've heard the first story um, and we have, you know, we know that Wibsy's, you know, help, you know, is, is, is the doctor's housekeeper in the future, that they're on at least some sort of cordial terms uh, between them. But then this one, she's sort of the main villain and that's a really, really nice uh, sort of twist on things. I, I didn't see that coming. Um, so that's great that, that, that she's in the Hornet's par. Um um, and it's 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 as as you said, it's a nice retrospective introduction for her. Um, and you get the second half. Then it was the same with her in their clutches. They get miniaturized down into the doll's house, and you get some again really fantastic, creepy sort of whimsical imagery of the dolls coming to life and attacking them, and um, the doctor being trapped in a doll's house in a glass jar. That's that's it's it's fantastic, and I don't think it would happen anywhere else. Um. That's what I like so much about this series is that it does have its own identity and it's not afraid to go slightly more, well, not even slightly, that it is not afraid to go more off the wall um, with the things that it does and the situations it puts the Doctor in. So this is a great example of it. Um, and uh, it's it's great to hear how he meets uh, Mrs. Wibsey and, and how they come to the terms um, that we see in the, in, in, the, in the first episode in The Stuff of Nightmares. I think the uh, the Doctor and Mrs. Wibsey's relationship is absolutely fantastic, and it's it kind of gets even better as the series goes on. I don't want to kind of spoil what happens moving forward, but by the end of it, there's sort of no denying that Mrs. Wibsey is not just the Doctor's housekeeper; she's a fully fledged companion, um, and yeah, she's an absolutely marvelous character, and it, it's it's great to see this kind of. Slightly standoffish origin, I guess. Um, so let's move on. Let's move on to the third story, which is the Circus of Doom. Um, it's very easy to sort of look at this and go, well, Doctor Who's done an evil circus run by a malevolent force in the past. So isn't it just going to be the same? I know it's not. It's totally different to Greatest Show in the Galaxy. Very, very similar concept, but the execution is just fantastic. Allows for more absolutely fantastic Tom Baker moments. Um, so, Mansour, go ahead, talk us through the Circus of Doom. Um, yeah, I picked this one as my favourite, but like I said, just sort of like nominally the favourite because I, I like the whole thing. Um, I didn't even make that connection, and like uh, McCoy is one of my favourite uh, doctors, and um, yeah, this just felt like a completely different sort of sort of story um why did i pick it as a favorite it's quite uh yeah it's quite good at just keeping you engaged and feeling like quite an exciting um visual action orientated adventure um the one thing that sort of made me pause a little bit was i know it's it's not out of place in doc 2 at all but (laughs) like having a little person um uh being this sort of like evil villain and his like dwarfism almost being connected with that that sort of made me sort of pause for a second and think that you know does, did that need to be the case but i totally get that it's drawing on yeah the history of doctor who and tropes and in, in general but um 
but as a story, I I really liked it. And like I said, I like the way it connects back to what we've heard so far, keeps you interested, and sets up stuff for for the last two. It certainly continues that sort of momentum that started in the first one and has kind of carried on throughout. And I like the fact that the Doctor's kind of travelling back further and further and meeting the Hornets earlier and earlier as we go through. So we kind of learn a little bit more about why they knew who he was in the first episode and all that kind of thing. It just works incredibly well. Uh, Connor, go ahead. Uh, yes, it's another good one. Um, I, I, I I enjoyed hearing it. I actually sort of tuned into it more this time than I did on the first listen, um, which was which was good, and I, I definitely got a lot more out of it this time um, and, and appreciated it more for what it was. Um, I really like the sort of circus setting that like, lets you go, um, you know, I said earlier about being a bit more off the wall, circus setting lets you go, you know, even more madcap. Um you get that great moment with the doctor's heads or the doctor's head in the jaws of the lion, um, which is a great moment. Um, and again, he realized, I think he realizes that it's a, um, it's a stuffed lion. It's, it's, it's dead. It's been animated by the Hornets again. So that's, that's, that's fantastic as well. And sort of ties back into that first episode. Um, I love the whole thing about people being, sort of stolen by the circus and that being, you know, like people sort of think, oh, the traveling folk have come, they're going to take our family away, or are going to take our family members away, that sort of thing. Um, the circus actually does, you know, sort of, you know, with, with, with this sort of manic evil glee, sort of take the people from the community and almost like it, it burns a, one of the ladies out that it sort of takes from this community, a little old lady. She's made to ride around on a pony or a horse, I think, um, if I remember correctly. And she is burned out. She just, she dies. Um, and and that's that's terrifying. That's that's a really, really terrifying moment. And um, um, sort of sold pretty well, I think, um, and sort of that, the horror of it. Um, whenever it becomes apparent that 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 lady did die, um, and the, this sort of starts as well. One of my favorite moments in the whole thing, as I said at the start, um, you get the element here where the doctor's trying to find out where the hornets came from, um, and he gets to speak to the ringmaster of the circus, and he realizes, um, you know, and it, it's the way it plays as well that the the ringmaster sort of describing it, um, to him, and the TARDIS materialization noise starts playing and that's it it's it's something that ties back into you know what i said was one of my favorite moments in the whole series this is where it starts it gets picked up again and we see it happen then in the next episode but again it's the doctor causes the hornets to end up where he finds them um and that's that whole sort of thing about the doctor traveling back and the hornets coming forward and the two of them passing each other at different points in time um traveling in the opposite direction so that's um that's fantastic i really really like that there's there's a thread sort of runs through all of this and it's like the doctor sort of following a breadcrumb trail through history um sort of hopping from adventure to adventure there's different links um like ernestina being percy noggins uh grandmother i think um ernestina's ballet shoes bringing the doctor to the circus the circus leading the doctor um back to uh, you know where he finds them then in the sting um uh sting in the tail 
And um, that sort of thread that the Doctor's found a thread, he pulls on it, um, this thread running through history, he pulls on it and this adventure tumbles out around him. So that's a really, really nice little touch and I really like that the adventures are so closely interlinked, yet still still feel very independent and very satisfying on their own. I think it's an excellent point that you could actually pick up any one of these and listen to it and enjoy it probably without hearing the rest of the series. You get so much more for listening to it as a series, obviously, but it kind of does work as an individual release, um, which a lot of a lot of audio Doctor Who you don't quite get. Uh, some of it, yeah, you can just pick up and listen to in its own uh, standalone, but then there's other things like, um, off the top of my head, I'm thinking Doom Coalition, where actually you probably need to listen to that as a series. You probably couldn't get away with just picking out an episode and sort of be able to get through it. So that's kind of a big advantage that Hornet's Nest has. However, I will always recommend listening to it as a series in order because it just works so incredibly well. Um, The next story then is the penultimate in the the series. Um, And it's a sting in the tail. Tail spelled T-A-L-E. This is... Uh, did you say it was your favourite, Connor, I believe? So I'm going to let you go first. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's great. Like I say, I really, really like the the setting. I like that, as I said, the wintry landscape. Um, and the monastery as well is, is, is quite a cool sort of setting for the Doctor to find himself in. Um, it's a little bit funny as well. You have the stuff about the nuns drinking the whiskey. Um and uh, the <laughs> the mother superior turning out to be a pig always makes me laugh, um. But there's a good deal of you know good element of horror in there as well. Um, we get the wolf and the wolfhound, um, or the wolves and the wolfhound, um. Uh, chasing the doctor and chasing him through the TARDIS as well. That's fantastic. Um, that's it's one of those things you know where we as Doctor Who fans who say, oh, we'd love to see the rest of the TARDIS, and then we get the rest of the TARDIS realised on the BBC budget, and it's not very impressive. Um, this makes full use of the audio medium and just has the TARDIS be this wonderful, mad, infinite space with unlikely on you know all different rooms. Like I think the Doctor runs through. I'm trying to remember the different areas he runs through. Like it's wrong to say rooms here because I think there's like. A forest at one stage, um, something else. Um, I can't. I honestly can't remember. But there's all different sorts of environments contained within the TARDIS here, and it feels less like a ship and more like a world of its own, um, or a lot of different worlds stitched together. So that's really, really good. And it comes back as well to what it said in the Circus of Doom, um, or uh, where where the Doctor sees or the Doctor hears from the Ringmaster about, um, the Hornets arriving from a blue box, and you know we get the TARDIS. You know, when we we as listeners know it's the TARDIS as the Doctor realizes it is, and that those events play out here with the Hornets. He's trying to take the Hornets away from Earth, and it's like he's trying to change history and stopping them from going. You know, before they even get started, this is the earliest point where the Hornets um are detected on Earth, and he thinks, "Oh, this is my chance. I can maybe cut this all off before it starts," and he tries to, but history doesn't let him. I love that. I love that thing. It happens a lot in Doctor Who, um, where history sort of bites back and history, you know, refuses to be changed um, and sort of connives events to bring things back as they were um, before whoever is trying to change history actually succeeds. And it happens to the Doctor here. He's trying to get the Hornets away from Earth. 
they overpower him and they do sort of control him and bring him, make him control the TARDIS and bring it back to Earth then. And he sees the ringmaster being taken over as a child. He chases him through the streets of Venice and tries to find him, but has no success whatsoever. So that's fantastic. I really, really love this episode um, for, for those reasons. Yeah, a lot of the stuff that has kind of been hinted at or suggested before or not quite explained, it kind of does start to come to a head here um it kind of lets us go into the finale ready for you know how the hornets are actually defeated um and that kind of thing so yeah kind of a lot sort of comes to a head here and like you say the doctor pretty much loses in this one um which i also quite like um it's it doesn't happen often uh mansoor what are your thoughts on a sting in the tail uh, yeah, I agree with all of that. And yeah, seeing the TARDIS is always um, being this huge sort of infinite, uh, mysterious ship. Um, I think you've got bits of that in some of the target novelizations again, when they were constricted by, uh, by budget, uh, like TV show was, and in the, um, the Virgin and BBC books during the 90s as well. So yeah, nice to see nice to see that element and yeah i just like the end of the story as well like the way you, you you've gotten used to this sort of um creepy but also quite cozy um setup of um sitting there listening to um the fourth doctor tell you uh tell you a series of stories and then the end of this episode just kind of throws that all in its head and suddenly mike and um by extension the audience we're not just kind of sitting there listening to a, 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 a story we're kind of like pushed along and um catapulted into the next the next adventure and it's all kind of happening um in the present um yeah uh so uh yeah i think anything else i'd say would just just be repeating but it's yeah i, I really like the way this builds and we've been, we've been talking a lot about the format of this and how it's different and episodic versus one big story i think what this is this is written in a really engaging way that makes me think of um not just doctor who but like other bbc tv serials um especially some of the really great ones for for children Uh, the ones that like made you desperate to see next week's episode but they were written to be consumed one at a time um and i think hornet's nest is a bit like that i did binge it for this re-listen just because you're kind of uh, you, you want to hear what happens next but this would work I, I think has it been broadcast on radio as well because this would work really well just kind of serialized and broadcast and just kind of getting you on the edge of your seat and pulling you in for the next installment I, i've got the feeling that this was cut up or broadcast on bbc radio at some point as well or Am I thinking of something else? Uh, I don't recall it ever being on the radio, but that certainly doesn't mean it hasn't been. Um, but I, I think it'd be great. I think it'd be an absolutely brilliant thing to stick on radio for, and uh, I'm sure Around a lot Christmas of people. As well. Yes, because it's got a sort of seasonal theme to it in places. Christmas just wouldn't be Christmas without Nest Cottage or <laughs> or something, some kind of paraphrase like that. I've just looked up. It was broadcast uh, on Radio 4 Extra uh, over Christmas 2011. 
Right, so that makes sense. And, and, and that's and... another Connor fact. <laughs> you see, this is a thing. And I wonder if some of those exciting midpoints, like you know, the Doctor's head in the lion's mouth, I, I wonder if they sort of fall neatly midway so that they can chop it up into um, uh, shorter segments. Yeah, it's an interesting point, actually. But yeah, Christmas broadcast, that yeah makes total sense. That's why I assumed it would be if it, if it happens. Yeah, that, that kind of fits in perfectly. Um, so we'll we'll move on to our finale then. Um, so we've kind of followed the Doctor's adventure through time so far and the series has now caught up to where we are uh, and it kind of gives us an explanation as to why the Doctor has brought Mike in and has requested his help. Um, so we're up to the Hive of Horror, which is... I think it's a brilliant finale. I think it just brings everything together. It's great for the Doctor and Mike and Mrs. Wibsey. And what I said before about her sort of evolving into a companion role, she's kind of not really a companion straight off. She can. I think this is where that evolution sort of begins. Uh, and there obviously is a nice little twist about her in this story too. So uh, let's let's go around one last time. The Hive of Horror. You go first, Mansoor. Well, I think I sort of started talking um, about the previous episode, how this kind of ups the stakes by suddenly not being, you know, a story that you're sort of one level removed from. It's for for Mike happening in in the present. Um, And yeah, a really satisfying conclusion. I think it's, um, again, it's about this working as a thing on its own, but also just how it brings together the threads, not just the kind of mechanics of the, the, the paradox and the time travel plot. But like you were talking about Mrs. Wibsey, I think the stuff it does with character is really nice as well. Um, and Mike has a bit of an arc as well. He sort of like starts off with this, you know, slightly tentative, like re reacquaintance with the doctor. And then it escalates to taking part in an adventure and being, um, being part of one. And, um, and yeah, so I think both in terms of plot mechanics and, more importantly, characters and tone, it all just kind of comes to like a really satisfying conclusion in this episode. Yeah, it it, it really does feel like the finale it's been building to, and it, it's it's not over the top, it's not epic, it's not a sort of bad wolf parting in the ways kind of finale. It's very in-fitting with the tone of the series, it's very sort of fourth Doctor era, and it's very, very, very Paul Marcian. Um, and I, it, it, all of those things kind of come together to deliver something really, really satisfying. Uh, Connor, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, I think it's a great finale, um, and I, um, it's sort of a testament to how familiar that we've become with Ness Cottage itself and the situation. It's, 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 it's set up in a really great way that when Mike arrives... Um, at Ness Cottage, he's sort of the audience surrogate um, that he doesn't know what's going on, we don't know what's going on, and it's only by the Doctor telling him the stories in the basement that Mike gets the information and we get the information. Um, and it's like whenever whenever we arrive in Ness Cottage in the first episode, it all feels a little bit strange. Like we have the central mystery of why is the Doctor this perpetual wanderer in time and space um, living in a quiet country cottage? Um and it feels like Ness Cottage has secrets there, and we've slowly learned them um, over the course of the series. And when we come out now, 
you feel much better equipped to understand Ness Cottage as a setting um, and the Doctor's reasons for being there. Um, and that all clicks into place in that last episode whenever they come back up out of the um, out of the cellar and, and, and return to the house at large. So that's fantastic. I think that's a really great way to kick things off there. Um, and um, it, it, it's very, very effective. The story itself is great. Again, we, we, we get... I, I like how many elements it takes from the other stories and sort of combines them all into one. Um, Ernestina's ballet shoes you know, turn out to be quite important for solving things. Um, we get the Doctor and Mike and Mrs. Wibsey miniaturised again to go into the uh, hive. The hive is contained, or the, the Queen is contained in the body of an animal as it was in A Sting in the Tail. So it all ties together really well and we sort of get this um, sort of greatest hits almost of Hornet's Nest playing out in this last episode, which is great. That's it's it's great that you're able to point back at the rest of the series and go, "That's where that came from. That's where that came from," um, that sort of thing. So, um, props to it for that as well. Um, and it ties Mike in. So I think it's the best use of Mike in the series as well because it sort of ties back to his whole thing about you know about why he left Unit and why he left Doctor Who the series. Um. In that he was brainwashed and turned traitor. Um, I have never been particularly fond of Mike because he turned on Unit and turned on the Doctor, and that was his card marked forevermore <laughs> in in my book. Um, but it, it's it's there's really good use made of it here. He does get taken over again. He's he's bragging to Mrs. Wibsey at one minute about oh yes I've visited all these different mystics and yogis and whatnot and and I'll never be brainwashed again and then five minutes later he's speaking in the hive's voice you know um so it's it's great that it sort of ties back into him makes great use of him as as a character and, and that's that's why I think it, it wasn't the doctor that brought him to hornets uh, that brought him to 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 uh, nest cottage rather um it was the hornets themselves that lured that sort of lured him there I think um is the way it played out so that's a great thing as well the hornets have been looking for a weakness um to use against the doctor in the present day um they find mike who is just sort of you know susceptible you know susceptible to being taken over and they bring him up to to nest cottage to um to uh sort of create an opening for themselves and have an ally of the doctors that they can turn um so that's fantastic as well um and it's a great, it's 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 just a great finale to the series. It's it's a wonderful series altogether. Yeah, it is pretty fantastic. Um, it's funny. I was uh, talking about Mike Yates recently because our lovely listeners won't hear it for a little while yet. But we recorded season by season eleven um, a few days ago, and we were obviously talking about invasion of the dinosaurs, planet of the spiders, and kind of Mike's arc, I guess, throughout that sort of green death as well and i think we were a little bit more sympathetic to him than uh you connor but that's that's something that our listeners can decide in uh in a little while's time when season by season 11 makes it out um in the meantime though we've done the whole series we've all thoroughly enjoyed it um and i'm now going to set you to a bit of homework i'd like you to go away and do a demon's quest please um, so we can come back in the not too distant future and talk about that because obviously it's the second Nest Cottage series and it's the obvious place to go. Um, 
So just before we disappear, uh, any final thoughts that you'd like to add, uh, Mansour? Um, just, yeah, just I'm looking looking forward to more. I've got, um, yeah, I haven't heard them yet, but I have them all set up in, in my playlist because we've got Demon's Quest, Serpent's Quest, and then I think there's a couple of singles as well, aren't there, like single disc nest cottages um, to add on. But uh, yeah, looking forward to it. And Connor? Just to say that I really, really appreciate how much of an identity the series has of its own. Um, it's set just after it's it's just after Leela leaves, I think. Um, pretty sure. Oh yes, because there's a mention of uh, the Fendal, um, in the first episode. So yes, it is. It is just after Leela leaves. I appreciate that it carves out its own little niche and just decides to be its own era. Doesn't try and recreate. I think. Um, and you know uh, the fourth Doctor's era in a way that a lot of you know spin-off material does, and um, this is very determined and very very is it's very successful at being its own thing and creating its own little era and and being its own series. Um, I love that there's a strong you know author's voice behind it in in Paul Mars. Um, a fantastic choice for it you know to begin with, and it's it's accomplished extremely well. Um, and you know. I love that we have Doctor Who sort of as show run by Paul Mars and um, that you can point and go, here is the series, here is the era, here's what it would be like. Um, so that's a major, major plus as well. And again, I think it was something you had touched on earlier on um, saying about Tom Baker. You know, uh, did, Do people actually say that he doesn't recapture his role in this? Because he does. I think he sounds more like his sort of TV version of the fourth doctor here than he has ever done elsewhere. Um, I can absolutely picture him, um, you know, as he was at the time. Um, and, and, you know, Mike says, Mike says straight away, oh, he's unchanged. He looks exactly like he did in the seventies. Um, so that's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great to hear that sort of slightly more alien, aloof and even slightly prickly version of the fourth doctor. Um, again, so that's, uh, again, a major, major thumbs up for the series. I've heard a lot of people sort of suggest that uh, maybe this is the the curator, not the fourth Doctor, and I've just never, ever, ever bought that. It, I don't know where this whole out-of-character thing comes from, but no, this is very, very much the fourth Doctor. There's too many specific references, like, yeah, like, you know, Fendal and all of that, placing it just after Leela and him looking exactly the same, so... And I don't think it needs that retcon because I agree, he just seems like the TV fourth doctor to me. Yeah, I think it works perfectly well as sort of a a, a pre-key to time fourth doctor. This is what he was doing while while he was on a break, as it were. And you know, I like to think that in the TARDIS somewhere there's still a box with K9 Mark II written on it that he just doesn't get around to building for absolutely ages because that is the most fourth doctor thing ever. Um, yeah, it, it's, it, it's perfect placing. And I, I really do think that Tom Baker's absolutely on fire here. It's, it, it is almost like he'd never been away from the role, which considering how long he was away from it is actually yeah. very, very impressive. There's no, no easing back in. It's, um, and like the, one of the strengths of Doctor Who is it can do all these different genres and tones. We don't have to like hive off or, explain away something that it just feels a bit different i think that's the strength that it's unique and feels like its own little nest cottage era 
Absolutely. And and that uniqueness does carry on through the next uh, couple of series as well. So we will come back and we will talk about them um, as soon as you've heard them, I think. Uh, but for now, uh, we'll leave it there. So I will say uh, thank you very much and goodbye to Mansour. Thank you. And thank you very much and good evening to Connor. <laughs> thank you and good morning. Uh, and that's all we have time for. Good night. Good night.